This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians, first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. When you walk around the grounds of Gainesville State School, you'll see just about everything you would on any other high school campus. There are students, teachers, a computer lab, and a gym. Except here, the students are convicted criminals. It's an incarceration facility for kids that have uh, violated the law. Each day starts at a tiny dorm room they call home. And continues marching from class to class, abiding by a strict schedule. In fact, the one thing that makes them feel like kids again is football. I'm just like you know, remote model on campus, you know what I'm saying? Everybody want to play on the football team. Just to put on a Tornado's uniform is a reward, not a right. You must have good behavior and good grades. Not to mention, every game is played on the road, but it's worth it to escape on Friday nights and enjoy a small piece of freedom they gave up. But each week, there comes that constant reminder of who they are and what they've done. They don't treat us as a regular person in the world. They treat us like we're just some alien, just from somewhere out, just out of nowhere. I mean, they look at us like animals in a cage, like we don't deserve a second chance or another opportunity to be something in life. After hearing the ridicule and losing eight straight weeks, the Tornadoes were once again on the road, traveling to play private school power grapevine faith for the first time, who had moved up a division. Their head coach, Chris Hogan, had a game plan in mind, and it had nothing to do with football. We were going to show them that in this country, if you make the right decisions, people will get on your side and support you. And it doesn't matter what your background is, you can make it. In a selfless suggestion, Coach Hogan sent out an email and requested his fans, his players, parents, do something so out of the ordinary in the football culture. 
he asked them to cheer for Gainesville State. These young men will not have any fans outside of the faculty from their own school. Their parents will not be there. I want some Lion fans to sit on the visitor side and cheer for the Gainesville team throughout the game. I thought, okay, this is, this is cool that Chris wants us to do this, leading up to it. But getting there that night, it was so easy to transition from being a fan for the Faith Lions to a fan for the Tornadoes. You know, the idea of, uh, of giving uh, and just being there to support those kids, those young men that have never had that before. So for the first time, the always-on-the-road Tornadoes would feel as if they were at home. And as kickoff approached, it was obvious something was different. It looked like they thought they were at the wrong end of the field because they know they don't have any fans. And we were just looking. I just looked. I just kept doing my plays. But I seen how they were split up, but I figured they just didn't have enough room on their side. I want y'all to line up in line. They make, they're making a spirit line. I'm like, say what, coach? What you say? Can you beat that? And uh, he said, they're making a spirit line for y'all to run through. i like, that's what's up, sir. That's what's up. When it happened, it was just, it was dynamic. It was one of the most unbelievable things I'd ever seen. When I ran through this, like I felt like it was just like some like angels or something. This is all I felt. Clubs just running through it as fast as I can. I just feel the wind rushing my face. That feeling of being unleashed lasted throughout the game, and so did the cheers. We had a penalty like the third play of the game, and I heard booing behind me. I turned around, and it was the, the great man fans. I remember when I was making like a play, I made a chocolate, and people were yelling my name. I'm like, I don't even know these people. <laughs> They were just like ours that night. I, I can remember rooting for their little quarterback, and I felt like he belonged to me. Our kids were their kids, and their kids were our kids, and all kids were the same. It wasn't enough to lead the Tornadoes to victory. As expected, Grapevine Faith won 33-14, and the Tornadoes finished the season 0-9. But it didn't matter, because for the first time in a long time, someone was in their corner, and that alone was worth celebrating. I was like, hey, y'all, this, this is going to get close, man. I don't care. I don't care if we lost tonight, man, because I was feeling good. I like, felt like we were in the Super Bowl championship game or something. Like, we won that. I mean, winning, like, in our heart, spiritual-wise, I mean, we won. I've, I've been in state championships of different kinds. There's nothing was like this. Nothing. Isaiah and the rest of the Tornadoes will never forget the feelings they had on that night. And while it didn't erase the mistakes they've made, it showed 14 teenagers that regardless of the bad things they've done in their past, there was reason to look ahead. I cried. <laughs> when I, when, when after the game, I went back to my room, I cried. I think that your, your family ain't the only ones that love you. God ain't the only ones that love you. Other people love you too. This is what I was hoping and praying would happen. I hope that it gave them hope. I see the world in a different way now. I mean, I'll just see... Like, I'm the victim no more. So much love because, you know, I came from a broken home family. So, I mean, having all that love, it just, just rose my spirits up. They got to be kids that night. They got to be a teenager and experience Friday Night Football in Texas. What a wonderful example of the power of encouragement. Um, that others would come alongside of us, 
to be there um, to speak words of life, words that edify, words that strengthen, words that build up, words that call out potential in people's lives, and how that is transforming. You know, as followers of Jesus, each of us have been called to be encouragers. No matter where you've come from, uh, no matter what uh, your, your socioeconomic background, your ethnicity, no matter uh, what it is that distinguishes you from other people, the thing that we all have in common is Christ. And He is in the center of our hearts and lives. And He fills us with His Holy Spirit, the spirit of encouragement. And it's out of that spirit that He calls us to encourage others. Uh, this morning in our passage in Acts 11, chapter 19, or excuse me, Acts 11, verses 19 through 30, we come across a man by the name of Barnabas. His name literally means son of encouragement. And as the, the gospel message had left Jerusalem, It had gone to Samaria via Philip as Peter and John had been sent by the the church in Jerusalem to investigate and see what was going on in Samaria with the gospel. And later on, as as Peter leaves Joppa and goes down to Caesarea, and he understands for the first time that the gospel is for Gentiles, for non-Jews, and that they don't have to become Jews to, to follow Jesus. All this is going on, and And simultaneously, there's the work of the gospel that's taking place uh, up in Antioch. Now, there are many, many cities uh, in antiquity that carried the name Antioch, but this is a very special one. This is in Syria, Antioch of Syria. And it's the third largest population center in the Roman Empire at that time, behind Rome itself and Alexandria. And it was a cosmopolitan place, and it was a, a mixture of people and belief systems. And even within the, the Jewish worshipers there, and there were many in Antioch, um, you had some that uh, were Hellenists. That was that they were of Greek influence in their lives and their culture. And then you had some that uh, were more traditional uh, in their Jewish customs and practice of the Jewish faith, much like you'd find in Jerusalem. Uh, and you had all kinds of other people. It was a very cosmopolitan, commercial place. And uh, in Acts 19, or 11, 19 through 30, we begin to see this thrust, or Luke uh, gives an account of this thrust of the gospel into this very important area. It's, it's north of Jerusalem, and it is really the, the farthest at this time uh, it's the farthest that Christianity or the message of the gospel traveled. And it's really setting the stage for what would later happen when Saul, who will be later known as Paul, takes the gospel to Europe. Okay, So it's setting the stage here. And as we read this morning, it's the first place where followers of Jesus are called Christians, which literally means Christ ones. And it's believed that uh, it was the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people 
in Antioch that gave them that name because they so distinguished themselves in their faith and their following of Jesus Christ. Uh, Later on, that name would be used in a derogatory way by Roman emperors who would persecute them. But it was a name that these uh, followers of Jesus would eventually take for themselves, and it helped to identify them separately from their Jewish origins. But key to this is a man named Barnabas. Now, in Acts chapter 8, 4, after Stephen, who was a Hellenist Jew, he's one of the deacons. Remember, we talked about that last year. After he is martyred, it says that great persecution came in Jerusalem, and that was primarily uh, towards Hellenist Jews. These were Jews that had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They had come to faith in Jesus Christ. They were heavily influenced by Greek culture, language, custom, and yet they were Jews. And you remember the thing that um, the religious leaders really held up against Stephen was that he questioned really the law and the role of the temple, right, in Jewish faith, but in particular uh, as a Jew practicing Christianity or following Jesus. So, Acts eleven nineteen literally starts where Acts 8, 4 ends, with the scattering of these Hellenist Jews, and they're going back to the places they had come from, among them, Antioch. And when they get there, the natural thing to do is to uh, teach that, that Jesus... Uh, is Messiah in the synagogue, which they did. But our passage says some of them now begin to teach that to the Gentiles, teach the gospel to non-Jewish people there in Antioch. And so in Jerusalem, uh, much the way they had heard about the move of the gospel in Samaria, they sent Peter and John to Samaria to investigate what's going on. So now they're sending this man named Barnabas, sending him up to Antioch to investigate, to see, hey, what's going on up here? Word's getting back that Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. We want to know more about this. And uh, Barnabas was the right man for that job. Uh, He was from Cyprus, which was an island uh, off the coast of, of this region of Syria, Antioch, Syria. So he was a person that would have been very familiar with the culture. He might even have known uh, some of the Hellenist Jews who had scattered there and who were actually, what, proclaiming Christ to the Gentiles. And so what we learn from Barnabas and what we see in our passage is how important it is for those who are committed to pursuing Christ and his priorities in the world to encourage one another. As we live for Christ, we as a community of faith, as a faith community, need to be cheerleaders for one another, encouraging one another on, spurring one another on in our faith and in our sharing of that faith. And uh, that's exactly what we see here uh, with Barnabas. You know, it's interesting, oftentimes when people do something differently, Right? 
In this case, here are these Hellenist Jews sharing the gospel to Gentiles, non-Jewish people in Antioch. Oftentimes, when we do things differently or do things that are new, uh, we receive criticism. Uh, People want to be quick to tell us why we shouldn't do something or how we can't do something, right? Uh, Think of great innovations and innovators. Think of uh, the criticism that they receive. And and oftentimes, it's not till later on that it's recognized how great their innovation actually was or is. And the same is true as... Uh, People are innovators and they think of new ways or even take the message of the gospel to new people groups. And they contextualize the gospel in ways that those groups can understand it within the framework of their own culture and their own understanding. And that's exactly what's going on here. But there's a quote I want to share with you. It says, the person who says it cannot be done should not interrupt the person who is doing it. That's an old Chinese proverb. Isn't that great? I think that's wonderful. But there are four things that Barnabas teaches us uh, in our passage today and that we see actually earlier in Acts as as he's identified as a very important, prominent person uh, in the early church. The first is this, that encouragers practice generous living and giving. Do you know generous living and giving? is one of our ten markers of a healthy missional church. And as we go through the book of Acts, we can look for these markers. They're all through our study of Acts. And Barnabas was a generous person. He practiced generous living and giving. Uh, Encouragers are people in their generosity of word and deed, of time and resource. Encouragers are people who share their assets. They have a belief in abundance rather than scarcity. They want to give out of all that God has poured into their life. Barnabas was a man like that. In Acts 4, 36-37, we're first introduced to him. And it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Do you remember that story? His great generosity, his great encouragement. And of course, we remember Ananias and Sapphira. They tried to imitate him, but for wrong motives. But early on, he establishes himself as a a generous person a person who gives sacrificially of himself and his resources to others. But the second thing we learn here is that encouragers recognize and trust God's work in people's lives. In Acts 9.27, after Saul on the Damascus Road has a life-changing, transforming encounter with Jesus, he goes to Damascus... And what does he do? He begins to share that Jesus is the Christ with the Jews there. And it says that he was very, very convincing. So much so they got angry and they they chased him out of town. And so it says Barnabas, but Barnabas, Acts 9.27, took him and brought him to the apostles. He took him to Jerusalem. Now the apostles were afraid 
because this had been Saul of Tarsus, the great persecutor of Christ's followers. Now he's coming back. He's literally transformed. He's on fire for Christ. He's been sharing that Jesus is the Christ, right? And it's Barnabas that brings him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You see, Barnabas was able to recognize and trust God's work in Saul. And so just as encouragers share their assets, encouragers are also able to see into people's lives. They're able to see the work of God. They're able to see the the potential, the richness of, of what God is doing in people's lives. In Acts 11, 23-24, we also see that Barnabas, when he arrived and saw that the grace of God, all that the grace of God had done there in Antioch, he was glad, and what did he do? He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Uh, that's what it means to be healthy, to pursue Christ. And so what is he doing? He's encouraging them. He's seeing the grace of God in their life. He's recognizing what God is doing in this movement now of Gentile believers. And he's encouraging them to pursue Christ. To remain true to the Lord in all their hearts. He was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. You know, the Lord works in us. And it's through His Holy Spirit that, that He touches others. As the life of the Spirit is imparted to us, but intended to go out through us. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so encouragers practice generous living and giving. They share their assets. Encouragers recognize and trust God's work in people's lives. They have the ability to see in and to see what God is doing. But the third thing they do is they recognize and trust God's work through people. They have the ability not only to to see into, but now to draw out of, to help release God-given gifts and potential from people's lives, to encourage them in that way. In Acts eleven twenty five through 26, when all this was going on, many people were coming to faith in Jesus. It was important to ground them, right, in the teachings of Jesus. That also, by the way, is a missional marker, the centrality of the Word of God, right? And there are so many people that are coming to faith that he needs help. So what's he do? He, he travels a 100 miles. He goes and... He retrieves Saul, who will later be known as Paul. And the two of them endeavor together for a year to ground these new believers in their faith. How important that is. Acts 11, 25 through 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And it was here, right, that disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Christians meaning Christ ones. Encouragers recognize and trust God's work through people. They're able to draw out the gifting 
and the potential. They're able to help release the passion that God has put in people's hearts and lives. And then finally, encouragers release and trust God for ministry outcomes. They're able to see into people's lives. They're able to to draw out of people's lives. But they're able to trust God with the outcomes. They're able to impart to others the work of the gospel. Now, how easy it would be for a person, for example, like Barnabas, uh, to be threatened uh, by a person like Saul. What if he outdoes me? What if he becomes more prominent? What if he's more gifted, a teacher? What if all these things? But you see, encouragers aren't threatened by that. In fact, hey, what if he is? That's a good thing, right? And they're able to impart out, right? The encouragement from themselves to people and allow people to blossom and be all that God intends them to be. It's very interesting here. You'll notice as they, they, they taught for a year these, these new believers who were first called Christians at Antioch. And after that, or during that time, there was a prophet who comes and, and prophesies and tells about a famine that's going to take place and how it's going to affect the whole region, the Roman world. And look, let's see what happens here in Acts 11, 29 through 30. This is a testimony of what Barnabas and Saul were able to impart ministry outcomes. This is wonderful. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and by what? Saul. And so here we go back to the very beginning where we're first introduced to Barnabas. What is he doing? He's selling his property to give to the work and to those in in Jerusalem. And now he's in Antioch. He's training. He's raising up along with Saul. And what do we see imparted? What does God then use in the lives of the disciples? The very thing that was in the life of the encourager. You see these early Christians doing the exact same thing. Isn't that wonderful? They're giving of their financial resources and they're directing it back towards Jerusalem because of the famine. I mean, what a powerful example of encouragement. What a powerful example of one who gave his life and he'll continue to as we read through the book of Acts. Encouragement is a powerful thing. And so this morning as we think about the role of encouragement in the work of Jesus in the early church. We're reminded about its role in our own lives. Uh, We also have our relational covenant. And and I just want to read to you um, one of the parts of our relational covenant. It says that giving and receiving encouragement, acceptance and hospitality to and from all. So that as we pursue Christ and His priorities in the world, as we look for those ten markers of a healthy missional church that we pull out of Scripture and we look for in our own life and in the body of Christ here at Community Covenant, we also are reminded that in our relational covenant that we have made a promise to one another 
to be sons and daughters of encouragement and to follow in the footsteps of the one whom we read about in Scripture, the great encourager of people, the encourager of the Christ movement, Barnabas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a picture of encouragement, not only on a screen today, uh, with the encouragement that came to some young people, but Lord, in Scripture, of how we see a person called Barnabas, uh, the son of encouragement, and how critical that encouragement was to the spread of your gospel and to its movement to the Gentile world. Lord, we pray as a church that as we pursue Christ and his priorities in the world, that we might also be sons and daughters of encouragement and that we'd encourage one another in our pursuit of Christ and his mission. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.